I have the privilege of uh, I'm just sharing a little bit about what God's been speaking to my heart. Um, and, you know, as I was preparing for this week, um, the thing that God has really been showing me, I think, and, and speaking and challenging me about um, is the fear of God, fearing the Lord. Um, and, and what that means and, and how we as believers are called to it, um, how we do it well, how we do it wrong. Um, and also even non-believers, what, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Uh, and I think uh, a lot of this comes from reading the Psalms uh, for me. So I've been trying to study through the Psalms and uh, the Psalms speak a lot about fearing the Lord. And I think as people, we often think about fear as a bad thing. Um, but it, it doesn't have to be. Um, but it can be. So there's, there's bad fears, there's good fears, um, there's right fears, and there's wrong fears. We, we fear man, that, that would be a wrong fear. Uh, we fear God, that is, that, that's a right fear. Um, there's fears for other things, too. Some people fear fear the dark or feel, fear ghosts. And my sister used to scare me all the time because I, I was afraid of the dark. And and, uh, and that's a wrong fear, you know. That's just a, a self, you know, um, self-conscious fear. But there's other fears that are right fears. You, you, you fear of fire, you know. That's a very right fear. That's a thing that you should rightly fear. We fear... Um, Wild animals, that's a right fear. If you're out and you, you get dropped into, you know, accidentally fall into the lion cage, you know, in, in a zoo, or uh, I don't know if you guys, some of you might be too young to remember Harambe, but, you know, there's a, you know, there's, there's, uh, there was a gorilla in the Cincinnati Zoo, and a child fell into the gorilla pit, and they actually had to shoot the gorilla because they were concerned for that child's well-being, even though the gorilla was just kind of sitting there minding his own business. You know, but unfortunately, I had to shoot it because it's a giant silverback gorilla. You know, and, and rightly they feared what that gorilla could do. And so there's right fears and there's wrong fears. Long story short, and I think the the psalm speaks about the ways that we fear the Lord, and I wanted to dive into how we can rightly fear Him, and how sometimes we don't fear Him um, rightly, and how the world does not fear the Lord. Um, and I think the psalms and, and there's some other verses I want to go through to, to bring us. Um, more insight, more revelation into that. Um, because the, the Bible is full of, 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 um, of pictures of who God is and who Jesus is. And Jesus, the Bible describes Jesus coming. He's the lion and the lamb. And sometimes we, we very are very, um, I think sometimes the, the, in the New Testament, it's, it's easier for us to understand Jesus as the lamb. You know, he comes, um, he's meek and humble like a lamb, but He's also like the lion. And when he returns in the second time, Revelation clearly describes him as, um, as coming like a lion again. Um, and so in order to fully understand who Jesus is, I think we need to understand both aspects of, of who Jesus is. So I want to start uh, first, next verse in Psalm 1. Let me try this quicker here. Let's see. Wrong way. There we go. All right, great. Great. Um, so this was a psalm that I was reading this past, uh, trying to read through the psalms in a year. And so in January, one of the earlier psalms is Psalm 11. And this is where I first uh, began to, God was starting to speak to me about fearing Him. And I think this verse especially is very pertinent right now. Um, because there's a lot of fear going on in the world. There's fear about the virus, very rarely so. There's fear about changes in politics. There's fear about trade wars. There's fear about uncertainty. Um, economically, there's fear about racial tensions. There's a lot of fear. And Psalm 11 um, speaks very uh, clearly about fear 
from a believer's standpoint. And this is an example in Psalm 11 of how we as believers sometimes fear the world and we despair. So Psalm 11 is a, a psalm of David, and in this psalm, um, David starts off with, he starts off with the conclusion. All right, so he kind of spoils the ending, but he starts off, in the Lord I take refuge. And then verse 2 starts, this is somebody else speaking to David. Somebody, the other person says, how then can, can you save me? This other person says, flee like a bird to your mountain, for look, the wicked bend their arrows, bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Basically, this belief, there's somebody who believes in the Lord is despairing. They're saying, run, you know, give up. The, the, the evil are winning. The, the evil are going to win. They're destroying the foundations. The foundations are being destroyed. What can, what can even a righteous person do? And I think we hear that a lot, especially um, it, it Christian believers in, in the church today. Sometimes it's easy, and I know for myself it's easy too, to look out across the landscape and think, boy, the foundations are being destroyed. The foundations, biblical truths, biblical truths about family, about marriage, about sexuality, um, about sexual identity. Those are foundational biblical principles, and, and it's easy to despair and, and think, wow, these principles that our country was founded upon, they're being broken down, these biblical principles, and, and, and despair. But then David takes this on, and he says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine him. In the Lord I take refuge. And, I, and so this is a song where somebody despairs, thinking, boy, you know, we should just flee and run. They're, they're discouraged. But David says, no matter what happens, in the Lord I take refuge. The Lord is still sovereign. And even in, when the world de declares that, you know, these truths are not true, things that we take for, um, for truth in the Bible are not true, we can still say God is still sovereign. No matter what happens, no matter what changes come to government, no matter what happens, we are called as believers to, to not stand on people, politicians, policies, but at the end of the day, to trust in the Lord. And even our founding fathers, I think, understood that. Even if you take out, uh, if you take out your wallet, you look on your on currency. I don't know who carries still coins around, but um, at least in before in pennies, you used to say, "In God we trust." That very, um, very same verse one: "In the Lord I take refuge." Um, and so this is a fear of man. This is a fear of man instead of a fear of the Lord and knowing that God is still sovereign. Um, so believers that fear the world will say flee. And sometimes I think that even when I look at politics, sometimes I, I'm like, oh, I don't want anything to do with that and flee from it. You know, in fear that things are bad. But the Lord is still righteous. The Lord is still on his throne. Strong direction. This other psalm is Psalm 14, and it follows with this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. And this is an unbeliever who looks at God and says, I don't even believe in God. I don't fear God. So this is the other type of fear. This is fear from an unbeliever. And this is a lack of fear. This is where the unbeliever says, I don't even believe there is a God. We, we don't, they don't fear the Lord. So it's not, as unbelievers, sometimes we fear the wrong thing. We fear the world. We fear um, uh, man. But the unbeliever fears no God. Uh, he doesn't have a, a full understanding of the righteousness of God. And that's another wrong, uh, wrong type of fear. Um, in um, the fool in his heart says there is no God 
And I think we hear this a lot in, um, in the world today. I'm sure many of you have heard from people who don't believe in the Lord, and they say, well, if God would just show himself to me, I, I would believe in him. If God would just come you know, right in front of me, uh, then, then I would believe. But I, otherwise, I, I don't really believe that there is a God. And that's a foolish, that's, that's the fool's thinking. That's how the fool thinks. Um, but really, you know, if they really thought about what they were asking for, um, they, they would really tremble. They would tremble in fear. Because when we ask for God to show up and prove himself to us, what are we truly asking for? That it's the God of the universe. Um, and, uh, and every single time in the Bible when, when God shows up, or not every time, but a lot of the times when God shows up to people in the Bible, um, there's so many examples of when he shows his, his glory, his, uh, his true power, those people are just floored on the ground. They're just like laying on the ground trembling. I think the best example of this is in Isaiah. Isaiah actually does get to see that. What so many people have asked for, uh, I just want to see, if God would just show himself to me, I would believe. Isaiah saw it, and he, he was broken. He was a broken man when he saw the full glory of God. He's trembled. And this is a holy prophet of the Lord. And God showed his glory to him, and it broke Isaiah. He said, woe is me. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When somebody says, I want to see God, they should, they should tremble to know what they're truly asking for. And if God truly showed up um, to us in his full glory and power, we would just be wiped away. When God showed up to Moses, Moses the holiest man at that time, the, the most righteous man, there was nobody who was more righteous than him. God had to cover him. Cover him so that he wouldn't just be burned away by his glory. Moses wore veil after he saw God's glory so that the people around him, the Israelites, would, uh, would, would, their eyes were, were, were um, blinded by the brightness of his face after he saw God's glory. These are the people of the Lord. How much more so if, if unbelievers would see the Lord in his fullness of glory, would, you know, just wiped away. And, and even us too, in our sin, we're just, we're no better than Isaiah to see his full glory. Um, we would be wiped away because of our sin. Woe, woe is us. And so to have a trembling about the, the holiness and, and the power of who God is, uh, we need, I think we need to have a full and right understanding uh, of that. Um, because he is holy, he is righteous. Um, so why does the fool ask where is God? It is his mercy that he doesn't show up to us in the fullness of his power. It is his mercy that he, he doesn't do that. And, um, and that's why I think it's so funny when people ask that, like, oh, God, just show up to me, and, 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 and I don't know, God's merciful, he's like, be careful what you ask for, you know, like, don't, you know, um, it's his mercy to not do that, it is his mercy um, to not come in his, his fullness of power and just, and, and just cause people to, to break down in, in fear. Um, well, I think another example, this is one of my favorite passages in, in the Bible, another example of God showing his glory, uh, showing his glory and his power um, is in First Kings. And um, going back to that Psalm 11 um, example where David, uh, another believer is telling David, just flee, just run. Things are bad. You know, there's no one righteous. That's a perfect example of what was happening to um, Elijah. So Elijah was a prophet, and he was a prophet during the time of the worst king uh, in, in Israel, um, King Ahab, the evil, evil man. An evil, evil leader. Kills all the prophets, kills everybody. Elijah's like, shoot, I'm the only one left. I'm going to flee. Flee to the mountains. Exactly like Psalm 11. You know, things are bad. Nobody's listening to the Lord. I'm going to run. And he runs. And he complains to the Lord. He says, um, he, he says to the Lord, you know, uh, well, you know, there's nobody else that's righteous. 
I'm the last one. God, what are you doing? You know, and he's running. And, and God shows up to him and he says, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his own cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there was a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? I think that's, that's God's glory. You know, he shows Elijah that what he, he controls. He's the God of the universe. He brings this hurricane that just smashes the mountains. I don't know if you guys have ever watched YouTube videos of, of hurricanes. I, I like watching stuff like that sometimes. But like, you see these giant hurricanes, they just rip up houses from the ground. Um, and just toss them around, or uh, earthquakes. Um, some of my favorite videos are, are these sea videos. I don't know if you've ever seen the waves on the sea, but there's these tankers out in the deep sea, and it almost looks like a, a roller coaster. They have these videos from the front of the, the wave, and this giant wave comes up, and the tanker goes up, and you realize, oh shoot, like that could just like topple in any second. Or, um, or fire. Fire is one that I think, um, you know, scares me in the sense that um, sometimes I'm very comfortable with lighting matches. When I was a kid, I, I hated fire. I couldn't light a match. You couldn't get me to light a match to like save my life. It was the last thing I could, you know, to do. I, I just was so scared to like strike the strike the match. I don't know if anybody else was like that. Um, and I had a friend who was not afraid of fire. He would just like put out lamps, you know, or put out little candles with his fingers, you know. People were like, like pinch the pinch the wick. So I, I've always been scared of fire. Um, and I saw another video recently of a forest fire, kind of like the forest fires that they've been having in, in, in California. And this this um, father and son were out hiking, and they got caught behind a forest fire. And there's this video of them trying to drive back through the fire um, to get out, and you see the entire forest around them is just covered in flames. It's like they're driving through hell, and you can hear the panic in the son's voice. He's like, we're not going to make it out of here. We're not going to make it out of here. Like, we're going to die. Like, there's just fire everywhere. And, and, um, and those are the elements that God is in control of. Those are the elements that God um, has power over. The hurricane, the wind, the waves, fire. Um, he's in control of all of those things. That is well within his power. He's the God of the universe. And he shows his power in all those different ways um, to Elijah. He shows him that he's capable of all those things. To an Elijah who's running from despair. He's running because he's like, oh, I'm the only one left, God. What, what can we even do? What can the righteous do when the foundations are being destroyed? And God shows him his awesome power. But then he comes to him in a whisper. He comes to him in a still small voice. He says, be a good, you know, be encouraged. Um, and go back. Because I'm the God of, of the wind, I'm the God of the waves, I'm the God of fire. Uh, I'm the God who's in control of all those things. And even though you're the only one left, you know, he shows Elijah that he is in control, that he sits on his throne like Psalm 11 says. He is the God on his throne. And even despite us as believers sometimes feeling that we're alone, feeling that despair, that everything else is going bad, the foundations are being destroyed, God shows that he is still sovereign and that in him we should put our trust. And in his mercy... He doesn't show those things. To King Ahab, this is Elijah at the time of King Ahab, the most evil king. And God could have just thrown fire at King Ahab. God could have just shaken the earthquakes underneath his palaces and destroyed him. He, he could have um, sent winds. If he could send a wind to break the mountains in part, 
how much more he could have just wiped out King Ahab. But in his mercy, he did. In his mercy, he came in a still small voice to Elijah, and in his mercy, he comes in a still small voice even to unbelievers. He treats them with such patience. He treats us with such patience, even when we despair, even when we forget that he's the God of the wind and the waves and the fire. He still comes to us in a still small voice. He could come in shock and awe and sound and fury, but he comes in a still small voice because of his mercy. And I think when we, um, only when we can fully, only when we get a glimpse and understand how powerful, how holy, how righteous God is, just like Isaiah saw in um, in that first verse, and when he saw God's full glory, only then can we still can we start to understand how patient, how merciful God is that he is that he waits for us, that he comes like a lamb when he could come like a lion. There's nobody I think who um, better um, shows this than the Israelites. You know, the Israelites uh, were a people who saw God's glory in its manifest presence on a daily basis. When the Israelites Left, um, left Egypt, God walked with them in a cloud of, um, in cloud, he walked with them as a pillar of fire. All throughout the Old Testament, all these examples of God um, showing his manifest glory in different ways, in powerful ways, um, in fearful ways. When, I read the, uh, when you read uh, Genesis and you hear about the plagues that the Egyptians endured, he turned water into blood, he brought plagues of, 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 of locusts and frogs, he, he killed the firstborn sons of all, of all of Egypt. God worked in Egypt in, in manifest ways, in, in, in powerful ways, that the Israelites would be able to see his glory and that the Egyptians saw his glory. And sometimes when I, when I used to read those things, I used to think, boy, God, like, it would be awesome to see that right now. Like, why aren't you still moving in, in that way? You know, if you did that right now, man, people would turn to you. Like People would really know who you are. But the Israelites didn't. The Egyptians didn't. They saw all those things. The king of, uh, the pharaoh of Egypt saw all those things. He lost his firstborn son. He saw the sky darkened. He saw um, all these plagues that came. And yet he still, what did Pharaoh do? He hardened his heart. And, that, and in, the, in the greatness and the power of, um, in the face of the greatness and power of who God is, Pharaoh was still able to harden his heart. And so even despite how great God's glory is, that is the depth of the human heart our depravity, that even in the face of something like that, we can still harden our heart and say, no, I don't want you, or no, I will not submit myself to you. That is how deep our, our, our sin is. And same thing with the Israelites. They walked in the deserts, and God delivered them through all those things. Yet still, time and time again, all of Genesis is about how the Israelites would harden their hearts and turn from the Lord, despite having his manifest presence there, in their presence, walking in the tabernacle, um, uh, with them. His manifest presence was with them. And then we see in Genesis that they were held to a higher standard. They were held to higher accounts because God was, was physically, literally there with them. And still they sinned. And so in God's, it was almost God's mercy to, to, that he walks in, in patience with us with the Holy Spirit. But if, you know, they can, if the Israelites can still sin with God's manifest presence walking with them, you know, how much more that we would do the same. And Paul talks about this um, in Romans, Paul talks about how um, the, Israel, the, the new believers, um, the, some of the Gentile believers in, in Romans, um, he says, you know, talking about the Jews, then he will say, branches were broken off so that I may be grafted in. This is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. 
And so, looking at the Israelites, I think in Genesis, I used, you know, used to judge, I used to judge them really badly, like, man, God is like right there with you guys, and you guys kept like tripping up. And, uh, but Paul says, Paul says, don't become proud. You're standing with God, our standing with God, here under the blood of Jesus Christ, is not because of our goodness, it's not because we don't sin, it's not because we don't trip up either. Um, we stand only in the presence of God because of faith, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So do not become proud, but fear. Again, back to fear of the Lord, that we should know we're no better than the Israelites. In fact, if that was us, same sort of story. Imagine if God had picked the picked the Chinese instead, you know, and we'd walk to, you know, it, with the, you know, with the Lord and, and, and cloud, <laughs> cloud of smoke and pillar of fire. <laughs> but I know we would have done no different. You know, we would have, and we would have been no better. Um, and uh, so, John Piper. Um, it talks, talks about the majesty of God and fearing the Lord as this. Um, John Piper says, The sheer majesty of God, as well as the holiness and justice and power and wrath of God, cannot be approached in a cavalier spirit. It would be insane to think we can just stroll up to the creator of the universe and have a cavalier spirit. We are blind if we think that we can do that without trembling. And, uh, um, and so I think the picture of who God revealed himself to be in Genesis um, to the Israelites that is still who God is today, too. But he chooses to, to, to come to us um, like a lamb. Jesus chooses to come to us in patience. He chooses to come to the world in humility. He came as a, as a baby, um, not with fire, even though that is still his power. That is still within his right to do. He is patient with us and comes to us uh, gently, meek, and lowly. So, when we look at the Israelites, we can see ourselves in them and learn from their failure to rightly fear God without having to go through the same uh, disciplines that, discipline that they did when God disciplined them because he loved them. And God is still patient with us to discipline us. But the penalty was so high for them in Genesis. Every time that they failed to live, um, live righteously, I mean, God came to them with blaze. God came to them and struck people dead um, because they could see his manifest power right in front of them how much higher standard that we should hold ourselves to um, because we have the Holy Spirit within us. So uh, all that to say, you know, fearing God because we know that he's the God of the storm, he, he's the God of fire and, and, and righteousness, and, um, and sometimes people think of that Old Testament God is different than the New Testament God, but that's still the same God. Uh, he's the same God that we know, um, and, uh, and we should fear him. We should fear him and rightly fear him. But what does it mean to rightly fear him? And so I, I want to dive into that a little bit. Um, not that we should fear him um, like we fear um, someone who's evil, but we should fear him in knowing his true power and how fear can actually be a good thing and how we can actually delight in the fear of the Lord. God, um, the Bible talks about us delighting in fearing the Lord. And what does that mean? That always kind of confused me. How do I delight in fearing something? That fear all seems like a bad thing. Um, and I think a, a good example of this is actually in, in C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis talks uh, in his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and this is just a story. Um, it's, a, it's a fantasy story, um, but it's, I think it's the, the, most, the best picture I can think of of, 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 fearing, uh, of rightly fearing and uh, fearing the Lord. In this part of the story, um, there's a couple children, and they go to this magical land, and the magical land, um, there's Aslan the lion. And Aslan the lion is a representation of, of, of who God is, of, 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 um, of Jesus. And the kid, who's Lucy, the kid the, um, is talking with the animals. The animals are a part of the land. And, 
uh, Lucy says this, and they're, they're talking about meeting Aslan for the first time. And Lucy says, is, is he a man, asked Lucy. Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then isn't he safe, said Lucy? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And it seems for a way that we approach Jesus, and how beautiful that we can approach Jesus, knowing that he is powerful. That's how he can fight our battles for us. He's powerful. He's the lion. But we can approach him, um, not that because he's safe. He's powerful. He will disrupt all things in our life. He will. Um, he came to, when, when Jesus says in the New Testament, he came to divide and to um, destroy. He will throw down our idols. He will throw down um, the, the things in our hearts that, um, that we have built up. Uh, to, to, for our own houses, our own, uh, our, our own glory. He's going to tear all those things down. He's not safe, but he's good. And we can trust him because he's good. In the same way that the fire is not safe, that the fire, um, that the winds that, um, that God showed uh, Elijah, they're not safe, but we can trust um, in God because we know his heart. We know that he's good. So that goes back to how do we fear him rightly? What does it mean to fear the Lord rightly? How do we delight in that sort of fear? Um, Proverbs talks about fearing the Lord um, and how it benefits us. The fear of the Lord being a good thing. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Mike Bickle talks about right, rightly fearing the Lord as this. If we can fully, truly understand a, a good fear of the Lord, rightly fearing the Lord, rightly fearing the, the, the lion, Aslan the lion, it is far easier to resist sin and compromise when we feel even a small measure of the fear or awe of God in our hearts. And that is where, the, where, where fear can be a right thing in our hearts. We fear the Lord and know his righteousness, that holiness that Elijah saw, how much, um, how much that can help us in our daily walk to, to avoid sin, to resist fit sin, when we see how truly holy um, and good the Lord is. Isaiah 66, all these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Um, God gives that promise um, that fearing corresponds with humility and lowliness and sensitivity of the heart. Um, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Contrast that with the earlier passages from Proverbs when, when somebody hardens their heart like Pharaoh. Um, versus those who humble your heart, humble and contrite spirit, trembles at the word. So that our heart posture is what allows us to, to fear the Lord. When we come to him with humility, contriteness in spirit, trembling at his word, um, the Lord delights in that, in that. I, I think about... Um, that the, the Bible says, Blessed is those who fear the Lord always, um, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. And that hardening of the heart, like Pharaoh did, um, that is, is the basis of, of sin, of all sin, even back to Adam and Eve. That hardening of the heart and acting like God um, doesn't exist, acting like God is not in the room. And that's that hardening of the heart 
um, live as if God is not watching. Philippians 2, 12-13 talks about working out our salvation with fear. So Paul writes to Philippians and says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. And I always kind of wondered at this verse, and I think this is key to understanding how we as believers should fear the Lord. Um, but I, was, I still struggled with this verse. What does Paul mean, like, work out your fear, work out your salvation with fear and trembling? What, what, what does that mean? And John Piper wrote this, and I think this... Um, um, is, uh, is the key to understanding this. John Piper says, you should fear and tremble because God is working to keep you. And I think it means the sheer awesome presence of God in our lives working for us, not against us, should produce trembling. That is amazing. So the New Testament treats the fear of God as a motive, not from turning away from Him. We should fear in the sense that we seek refuge from God, away from God's terrible wrath. God's grace in Christ is the refuge from God's bright wrath outside Christ. There is terror outside of Christ, but there is a different kind of trembling inside of Christ. I'm going to say that one more time. We should fear in the sense that we seek refuge from God, away from God's terrible wrath. God's grace in Christ is the refuge from God's wrath outside of Christ. I think that is the key for working out our salvation in fear and trembling. That that same sort of power that we saw um, that God's wrath in the Old Testament um, that we should rightly fear that God is righteous and he brought that judgment um, and down. And that's the same judgment that we deserve. And we should fear that. But we don't have to fear that because in Christ, um, we can approach God uh, without fear of, of that. But how much more we should know that that trembling, um, how much we should tremble because we know the great wrath that we are spared from because of Christ's blood. So, and in that... And that's in a sense, it kind of creates a delight in us that we can know that because of Christ's blood and because of our standing with Christ, we are not subject to the wrath of God. And so that's the kind of fear and trembling um, that we should have. How much we are, um, how much we are able to find refuge in Christ away from the wrath that we deserve. And I think that in me produces a delight um, that we're able to delight in the fear of the Lord. Nehemiah 1.11 talks about delighting in the fear of the Lord. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today. Grant him mercy in the sight of his man. Um, this is Nehemiah talking about when he was the cupbearer to, to a foreign king, um, and yet he still delighted to fear the Lord, not the fear of a, a pagan king. Isaiah 11, 2 uh, through 3, this is a prophetic passage talking about Jesus and how Jesus delights in fearing, in fearing the Lord and fearing God. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. You shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide excuse by what his ears hear, but he, he delights in the fear of the Lord. Jesus, even Jesus delights in the fear of the Lord. So how much more we are called to do that as well, in a healthy and righteous fear. Um, there's another example um, of this. And, and so the, the right sort of fear is not the fear um, that if we are outside of Christ, the unbelievers that fear the Lord, um, that can fear God. It's not the sort of fear that we think about fear as in fearing the dark or fearing evil or fearing something bad. Um, but it's, uh, it's not like cowering like slaves or, or being afraid of an abusive father, but it's fearing as in respecting um, and understanding the great power that God has, yet he withholds 
and that actually works for our good. That same sort of power that God has, that He can bring the, the wind, the fire, the waves, it works towards our good, because He is good. He loves us. Um, there's a, a metaphor here um, that, uh, that I think kind of summarizes that well. Here's, a, here's an image. <clears throat> so I think of this as a story. So if you're climbing this mountain, and, um, and as you're climbing this mountain, you're on this rock face, you're exposed, and all of a sudden a hurricane comes. And there's this giant uh, winds and giant waves and, and rocks are crashing. I think about Lord of the Rings when they're like climbing and, the, and, and there's these rock, I don't know if you guys ever have seen this part where there's like rock giants and they're like throwing rocks and, um, at, at them. And so you're, you're exposed in this giant hailstorm, this giant hurricane, but then you find a, a little niche, you find a, a, a little space um, where you're actually protected from the wind, you're actually harbored from it. And as you look out from that, that little harbor, you're looking out from this little niche of the rock, and all of a sudden you're protected from the wind, you're protected from the rain, you're protected from the storm. So imagine that in your mind, and all of a sudden that storm, instead of becoming something scary, um, you can actually watch it, and it's beautiful. You can see the, the glory of it, and you can enjoy the majesty of it. And so I think that's the same sort of, of haven that Jesus gives us, um, in that God's wrath is like the storm. God's power is like the storm. And we should rightly fear it because it's powerful. But because we're in the grace of, of Jesus Christ, um, we can know that that storm actually works for our good. And that, that, that the God who is in charge of that storm, the God who is sovereign, can, um, who has that sort of power, loves us and wants to use that for our good. We're actually enclosed by, by, the, grace of, um, by the grace of Jesus Christ, by his, by his blood. So we can enjoy it rather than fearing it. Um, so we can tremble in, in reverence and awe of it, but not a cowering sort of fear. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So in 1 John, he's talking about the wrongs type of fear, that we do not have to fear God in the sense that as unbelievers we should fear him, the wrath of, of God, but we can fear him in trembling, uh, and knowing that that is part of who he is, but that we, um, in the blood of Christ, are, um, that, that that power works for our good and not for our punishment. So one day, you know, this all ties in, and this is how I'll end here. One day, um, every knee will bow. The Bible promises that. When Jesus returns, every knee will bow. Every t everybody will see God in his full manifest glory. When Jesus comes on the clouds, that same, that same wind and power and fire and waves that Elijah saw the same sort of glory on manifest clouds that, that Isaiah saw and said, woe is me, we're going to see it. We're going to see it again. We're going to see it times a billion. Yeah. The same sort of things that, that the Israelites saw, times a billion. The same plagues that the Egyptians saw, Revelation promises it ten times over. Bowls and <coughs> trumpets of it. We're going to see it all. We're going to see it again. And as believers, though, we'll be able to, to kneel there and know that 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 glory that we'll see works for, for us. It works in our good. Not works for us, but works towards our good because of the love of Christ, because of the blood of Christ. Um, Revelations, the, the angel, when he's proclaiming the coming of Jesus the second time, Jesus, who's coming the second time as a lion, he says this. He says, in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Worship him, worship him, fear him, 
the God of the universe, heaven and earth, the seas and the springs of the water, the God who made the hurricanes, those waves, the fires that we see and, and, and fear, you know, worship him and fear him, he's coming back. And on that day when every knee bows, it will either be in fear of his judgment or in awe and reverence of his great mercy. We'll be able to see that and as believers, we'll be able to see to, to know in, in, in awe and wonder of all those things that are coming that we're spared because he's merciful, because he's good, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So only when we know how great and awesome that power is and that judgment is can we fully understand, wow, God, you're so merciful. You're so patient with me. That that's what I deserve, and you're God who can do that. You could wipe away every single unbeliever. You could come and, and, and smash every single evil thing right now, but in your patience, you wait. You're, you're waiting, and you're allowing, and you withhold your hand of judgment. You're patient with unbelievers. You're patient with me. You're patient with us. Even though he could, he could bring that same wave of fire and, and, and lightning right now to strike every single unbeliever down, to strike down all of us who are being sinners. But he withholds because he's patient, he's graceful, he's merciful. And Jesus, Jesus is that great intercessor. In the Old Testament, God was about to do that to the Israelites. And Moses, Moses stood as an intercessor. Moses stood as, as, as their high priest and said, please God, you are good. He reminded God of his character and that God withheld him without that judgment that in the same way Jesus who is the true and better Moses stands as our intercessor as the great high priest and he intercedes for us and in that intercession we can stand as, as um, in, in that little haven in that little um, in that little cove and we can watch the storm um, and we should still fear and tremble at that storm but because of Jesus he keeps us closed um, and closed and safe and we know that he's good he's a lion but he's good he loves us. Um, I'm going to end with this last quote from Mike Bickle in that same book. Um, this is how Mike Bickle starts all of his prayers. This is, uh, this is his little prayer booklet. It's like one of my favorite little books. It's so short. But every day that Mike, Mike prays, he starts with, uh, he calls it the fellowship prayer. And F, the first prayer that he prays, is for the fear of God. That's how he starts. And this is Mike's prayer. And as we... I'm going to close this morning. Um, this is how I want us to, to consider praying what we talked about here before. Um, Mike prays this every day. He said, Father, release the spirit of the fear of God into my heart. Strike my heart with revelation of your majesty that I might live in awe before you. Release your presence with holy dread that causes my spirit to tremble before your glorious majesty. Unite my heart to your heart and word and cause me to delight the fear of God. When we, when we truly see God God's glory, uh, we can delight in that fear. Uh, not fear it, fear that power, but delight in it. So let's bow our heads and pray here. God, we just ask you to strike our hearts with your holiness, to strike our hearts with your majesty and your glory. God, remind us uh, of, your, of your power, that you're the God of the universe, heaven and earth. That no matter what happens in the world, no matter what happens in the government, politics, coronavirus, pandemics, economic issues, war, rumors of war, God, we can trust in you. We put our trust in you. Because we know that you are the God of heaven and earth, that you still sit on your throne. Even when we feel like Elijah, we're the last. We feel like we're the last one. We feel like, oh God, there's no one else that, um, that, that is following you. Um, remind us that you are the God of the storm, that you can command the waves, that you command the storm. And like Jesus in the storm, that you can calm it with the word, 
because you are the, the Lord of the storm. And because you are good, we can trust in you. Help us, help remind us that, help remind us that you are, that you are the king of the storm. And in that way, we will not have any fear of the world, but that we can fear you rightly. And that we can delight in that fear. Delight in knowing that the God of the universe is sovereign. That because of the love that you have for us, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, that that power works for our good. We can trust you. So thank you, Lord. Strike our hearts with the fear. The fear of the Lord. Help us to delight Spend some time in worship. You would stand with us.